Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. In 2021, Major League Baseball moved the All-Star Game from Atlanta to Denver in response to the state of Georgia passing a voting reform bill, which many on the left in America claimed was intended to violate the voting rights of blacks. Once upon a time, businesses stuck to the business of producing goods and services to sell to consumers and tried to avoid taking political stands alienating potential workers, customers, or investors with controversial political positions was seen as bad for business. Today, corporations are increasingly taking political stands, and most often for the progressive position. Beyond this, companies are firing workers for politically incorrect views, and often seemingly with little due process. And banks and financial institutions are adopting standards designed to cut off credit for politically disfavored businesses like gun manufacturers and oil companies. These trends in total have been dubbed woke capitalism. What is going on here? And what, if anything, can be done about this? Well, the Johnson Center is beginning a new program this year to teach business students about the traditional virtues of commerce and the fundamental morality of business. Joining me today on the show is Dr. Alan Mendenhall. He's the executive director of the Johnson Center, and he's here to talk about our new Free Enterprise Scholars Program. Well, welcome back to the show, Alan. Well, Dan, thank you for having me. I think this is the first time I've been on the show as a guest since we became colleagues. Right, yeah, yeah, you've been on the show before, but before you came to, to Troy, so, and uh, it's a little weird you're having a, a guest in studio after having a lot of uh, guests on remotely, but, so let, let's talk about there, you know, we do, we have seen this rise uh, of businesses becoming very active, um, you know, taking stances uh, before or against certain pieces of, of legislation, which is a, a you know, seemingly a new uh, phenomenon. So, you know, what, what's involved here with this uh, uh, woke capitalism? And then we can talk a little bit about what we're going to do about it. Well, your intro did a great job of highlighting the issue. I think wokeism or woke capitalism or woke corporations, these are umbrella terms to describe disparate phenomena. Mm -hmm. Number one, one that you mentioned was taking positions on uh, controversial political issues. You see companies taking a stance on abortion or gun rights, for example, uh, firing workers for unacceptable views. There have been calls for the um, CEO of Netflix to step down for hosting Dave Chappelle's show because Dave Chappelle allegedly um, I don't watch the Dave Chappelle show, so I don't know, but as infamous for comments that, that he makes and jokes he makes. Um, there are issues of stakeholder capitalism mm -hmm. versus shareholder uh, capitalism. And uh, ESG, of course, is, is the, big, the big one, environmental, social, and governance work. I believe that America is in a fractured state. So let's just say, hypothetically, that 50% of America 
is conservative and 50% is on the left, or we say 50% are Republicans and 50% are Democrats. I just throwing that number out there. Well, that's not enough to, to maintain a good business and political positions. You're basically cutting yourself off from 50% mm -hmm. of the consumer. So in a competitive market, say companies that are adopting ESG uh, criteria would fall behind their competitors that are apolitical and that, that look to find consumers from both the right or the left. So what you tend to see is these companies that are adapting, uh, uh, are adopting, excuse me, woke positions, or that are taking positions that are on, say, the progressive left, because they can't compete on the market, they seek to lobby government to institute regulations mm -hmm. so that they can level the playing field. They say, well, we can't compete against companies that aren't taking, the, that we're voluntarily at this moment adopting these environmentally friendly policies, but we can't compete against these companies that aren't. So now we're gonna advocate for these environmental regulations to level the playing field so that now all these other companies have to play by our rules. And you see this in different areas where these companies are, are trying to build government up and to add new regulations so that they can compete mm -hmm. against their uh, competitors, against other businesses that are trying to remain apolitical. Well, we, we've uh, started a new program this year. We've recruited some students into it, we've, uh, and, and we've gotten a lot of attention for this program. Um, uh, tell us a little bit, we'll, we'll come back and talk a, a lot more about this later on, but uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, new program, our Free Enterprise Scholars Program. Well, first of all, thank you for, for helping to come up with this concept and for your role in that. Um, really, I couldn't have done any of this without thank you, of course. But uh, it's a program that is extracurricular, mm -hmm. completely voluntary, so students are not required to take this class. They, they choose to take this class. And what we're looking at is really ethical business practices. In the media, this has been described sort of in negative terms as we're, we're going after woke corporations, we're going after woke business. But I like to focus on the positives. What we're really trying to do is pursue ethical business practices and to show what business does to contribute to society, whether by innovation and entrepreneurship, whether by creating jobs, whether by adding value to society. It's funny because the responses to uh, this program have been overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. However, every now and then I get an email from somebody I respect that has a critique of the program, and that's natural. Of course, I, I expect disagreement and welcome disagreement. But some of the disagreements really highlight the need for economics education. For example, I had uh, a very smart person say, well, this is, you just want, you just want corporations to, to maximize profits, and, and that's, that's such a bad thing. I think, well, that's interesting. What, what, what's so bad about that? What's inherently bad about profits? Mm -hmm. I mean, if a profit, all that is, is total revenue minus cost. If a corporation doesn't make a profit, it doesn't mm -hmm. stay alive. If a corporation stays alive, it doesn't hire workers. It doesn't produce anything. It doesn't contribute anything. How, how does that help anybody? Mm -hmm. So there's not really anything wrong with a company making profits, right. but people have sort of comic book caricature versions of big bad corporations that ironically end up being fulfilled by some of these pursuits of wokeness. And I can mm -hmm. be happy to explain that yeah. in a minute. But companies tend to move toward unethical practices when they adopt these, these, these woke policies. Right. Whereas if they purely stuck to maximizing profits for shareholders, they would actually, in the aggregate, do more for society and not create mm -hmm. these unethical problems. 
Yeah, and to my mind, it seems like you know one of the things to think about is like businesses are being recruited or, or asked to be agents of social change or pursue social justice. And I think one of the things I see is like when when CEOs or, or business leaders cave into that, it, I think a part of it is, as you said, that they don't seem to be able to realize how the pursuit of profit is is a truly moral thing. They don't have to apologize for their existence or make up for their existence by you know, helping pursue social justice or, or other type issues. And there are plenty of CEOs who in good faith are pursuing these policies because they believe them to be right and good and they are trying to do the right thing. However, there's also a dark side to a lot of these movements. There are a lot of CEOs who are going after these policies to give themselves cover for the media or to disguise the fact that what they actually do is not environmentally friendly. There's a term for this, greenwashing. And there are plenty of corporations that try to market and advertise themselves as being um, progressive or whether it's environmentally friendly or whether it's in favor of LGBTQ rights or whether it's being uh, pro-abortion or whether it's being whatever. Um, but what they're really doing is, yeah. is creating an impression or an image that's not in keeping with the actual practices. And just an example from this shift from shareholder to stakeholder governance. You know, shareholder governance is pretty straightforward. Most corporations right. are, are governed by a board of, director, a board of directors acting on behalf of, of, the, uh, of, of the shareholders. But when you start asking what a stakeholder is, okay, it makes sense if you say, oh, an employee is a stakeholder. Our, our, our clients, or our consumers are stakeholders. Okay, that makes sense. But what's happening is that stakeholder is getting broadly defined to be society writ large. Anybody mm -hmm. is a stakeholder. Well, now if CEOs are in the business of trying to appeal to stakeholders, well, that gives them, that gives them latitude to do whatever they want. Right. And they don't have to just report to shareholders anymore, but they can do whatever they want. And that ends up uh, resulting in a complex governance relationship where uh, CEOs are able to do sort of nefarious things and yeah. bad things uh, in, in order ultimately to enrich themselves, but not in any way that actually helps the causes right. that they purport to help. And, and you know, the point you raise here is one that is raised uh, by, by this gentleman in his, his book, and it, it, he's going to be participating, I guess, a, a part of our, our uh, program this year, our Free Enterprise Scholars program this year, but uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who, I mean, he makes this point about when a, you know, he sees stake, especially CEOs, uh, pursuing this idea of stakeholder capitalism is very opportunistic because it gives you, when you have many bosses, you have none, and, right. and so you have a tremendous discretion as a CEO. If the stockholders or the other investors get on you and say your company's not performing well enough, you can say, well, "Yes, but I'm serving the the environment. Uh, yes, I'm advancing these social justice causes," and so you can't complain. And, and so I think there is certainly a degree of of um, you know opportunistic be behavior that's going on here. And you know, and I think also you know. I think we both read this book, and I think one of the th one of the great contributions he makes is to show how these various different elements, uh, the issues that you see, uh, that you're not happy with, are, are sort of tied together and all, all part of this one phenomenon, right? That's correct. Yeah, and a lot of them are uh, result in unintended consequences. Mm. I predict there's one that Bank of America announced last week, and it's called the Community Affordable Loan Solution, 
And in essence, what it does is it relaxes lending standards for people living in certain cities. So Detroit or um, uh, uh, you know, different cities with uh, Philadelphia, different cities with sort mm -hmm. of a high concentration of African-American population and Hispanic population. And Bank of America is touting this program as being sort of a progressive program, saying we're not going to require a down payment. We're not going to require closing costs on a mortgage. We're not going to require a minimum credit uh, credit score or a minimum mortgage or, or, or mortgage insurance at all. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give these loans for, for homeowners for communities that that have been underserved or um, don't have high rates of home ownership. Well, that sounds wonderful on its face, and the way they're marketing it sounds great. We're going to help uh, ethnic com uh, communities and people who have struggled with poverty get out of poverty. Well, we've seen a version of this before right. with the Community Reinvestment Act and the 2008 financial crisis. Yes. And we had issues of mortgage-backed securities and Fannie Mae and Fannie Mae. But what was one of the prime drivers of that recession was qualifying for people who, with uh, qualifying people for loans who otherwise mm -hmm. would not qualify, and that and the old-fashioned term for that would have been predatory lending <laughs> where you get people stuck in situations where they're going to owe you money and they sign their life away to mm -hmm. you but in this current in this current culture you can call it something else and make it seem like a good thing but i predict bad things are going to happen from this what you know were the poor and minorities well served by a massive economic recession no they were the ones hurt the most by the recession yeah. and that's what's going to happen with this particular policy that bank of america is running with now mm -hmm. and, and then there's other aspects of it and you know one of the things that in, in business schools for a long time we've been you know trying to teach students is that they need to be able to work well in groups and, and you know, when you go to work for a business it is it's, Yes, it's for a profit, but there's also a, a tremendous amount of collaboration. Uh, and, and so, and, and that's probably in general and true in all economics. There's a lot more collaboration and cooperation than necessarily pure competition. But you know, one of the complaints, and, and this was a, a, a gentleman in the, uh, in the Wall Street Journal in 2021, R.R. Reno, made this point that like, he's, he's running into huge problems with uh, hiring graduates from Ivy League schools because they are so woke. The, the term, you know, applying to the, the, the students who are such snowflake uh, students who are, are likely to get offended at, at anything that, uh, it, that they simply you, you can't have them work in your organization. They're always uh, thinking somebody's about, you know, they're, they're victimized them. And that, you know, that, that we can sort of see as like a really terrible way to, to view other human beings as, as out to get you, as predatory, as, as looking to victimize you. And it, it really does inhibit a lot of ability for people to work together or see anything cooperatively, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, every organization has a mission statement. It has a purpose, a thing toward which it is working. And organizational culture is essential to achieving that end. You need people from disparate backgrounds and beliefs from different communities, from different uh, upbringings, working in concert toward achieving that purpose. And when you have an organizational culture that is full of surveillance and snitching and a lack of due process and, um, and all varieties of cancellation and cancel culture, that is an uncomfortable environment to work in mm -hmm. and people are not able to organize themselves and work in concert. They're not able to collaborate. They're not able to, um, to work constructively toward that end. In fact, they often work at cross purposes and in a culture of fear. And that's not only 
uh, not a fun place to work, but it's also not uh, an effective place to work. Mm -hmm. You know, you need a, a culture in which people feel open to share ideas, to collaborate, mm -hmm. to uh, work together to achieve some common purpose. And, and I think uh, you know another part of it is even when you know somebody says something that you know you could interpret negatively or, or not or, or less negatively or that you could hear as an insult if you want is just how do you react how do you respond do you always assume that somebody's trying to, to insult you trying trying to to hold you down or do you are you more cooperative or do you like sort of say like well maybe I didn't understand you correctly you know, like, you know and, and allow somebody to, to explain themselves and so maybe, maybe they just sort of stumbled over the words or something like that and, and it just seems to me that there's you know a, a, a huge issue here of, of simply how you look at other human beings and you know do you want to do business with them or do you start to view each other as uh, in, in these antagonistic oppressor and oppressed classes where there's just very little ability for for cooperation yeah, I, I believe that a lot of the, the, the woke treatments of race are actually, ironically, racist in that they treat people as mere avatars of their race, not as people who are decision-making agents, mm -hmm. but as sort of victims of systems and, structure, and structures, people who lack agency, people who are incapable of working their way up the latter and realizing their dreams because they are uh, necessarily oppressed. And people need to, I think, view themselves as individual human beings yeah. with innate human dignity who are entitled to bodily integrity and everything else that comes with being a special, unique human being. Mm -hmm. And people who are uh, members of ethnic minority communities, yes, race is a very important and part of their identity, but it's not the sum of their humanity. There's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of what we see with this identity politics is trying to take complicated people, human beings, and lump them into group categories right. and say, if you are black, you have to be like this. If you're Hispanic, you have to be and think like this. Well, that, that shouldn't be the case. People should be free to think and believe what they want to believe. They shouldn't be forced into these ideological compartments. Right. Every human being is completely unique and beautiful and made differently and has different talents and mm -hmm. interests and backgrounds. And this is something we should celebrate. This is what diversity means. Right. And, you know, to this point, we've been talking about a lot about what is uh, what is woke capitalism and maybe what's wrong with that. But there's another whole part of it, and I think this is the part we're going to emphasize in our free enterprise scholars program is is that there's a lot about business that is inherently moral and inherently good and and, and helps people to cooperate. And, and, and so, you know, that's a big part of what, and, and when we see like the pervasiveness of, of the, the issues that, that Mr. Ramaswamy talks about, it, you know, really to my mind suggests that there is something problematic with the business curriculum because people are, are graduating, going out there and, and seemingly uh, totally woke and like not, not really aware of of some of these uh, great virtues uh, of business, and so it, it, this is an important thing to talk about. So let's let's get into some of these the good things about uh, business. Yeah, I mean, countries that trade together are less likely to go to war together. They're mm -hmm. less likely to be hostile. Companies require the work of other companies. I have a widget that you don't, and we figure out ways to trade and exchange in order to 
maximize, not ma we're working toward our own profits, right. but we inadvertently maximize the well-being of society writ large when we do collaborate and we find examples uh, uh, to work together. Are markets competitive? Absolutely. But you get innovation, you get entrepreneurship out of that competition. I think that commercial culture is great for humanity writ large. If you look historically at the the boom in literacy, you can mm -hmm. trace to the you know the, the advent of the printing press. Right. I mean, commerce has done wonders for human civilization, and I think you hear about the hockey stick where the quality of life was just static for mm -hmm. so long, and then all of a sudden in the 19th century, boom, it shoots up, yeah. and the quality of life changes dramatically forever, and we have new inventions, we have all kinds of new technologies, we have higher literacy rates, we have um, longer lifespans, uh, quality of life is better. Every single person in the United States more or less has access to an iPhone. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful, amazing thing that we take for granted. We have internet access um, all over. It's, 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 it's really an incredible, wonderful world we live in, and yet we decry the capitalism that made it all possible. It doesn't mm -hmm. make a lot of sense. Well, it, it, one of the things, you know, we, we mentioned stakeholder, uh, cap, you know, stakeholder views earlier, and, you know, at one level, when you put forward like, well, businesses should care about like, their employees and, and their suppliers and their customers, but that's also that view is also kind of ignorant in that, of course, a business has to talk about. It. And philosopher James Honison talk makes this point very, very forcefully that, that in a market economy, because everybody interacts with each other voluntarily, every potential employee has the freedom to say, no, I don't want to work for you. Every potential customer has the freedom to say, no, I don't want to buy your product. And by definition, businesses through the, the, the market process have to treat with each other with dignity because if you were to insult a, a potential customer, they're not going to buy your product. You, you have to treat them, well, you, know, you have to treat people with, with dignity uh, if you're going to run a successful business. You can't, you know, you can't treat your suppliers poorly or they won't, do, they won't want to do business with you. Well, and that emphasis on agency and choice is so important. I know my mom had a mutual fund r recently and she found out that uh, part of it involved the tobacco industry and she disagrees with the tobacco industry and so she got out of that mutual fund mm -hmm. and that was her prerogative to do and that was fine and she did that and all was well. But what one, one really problematic area that I see is these asset management companies that are uh, investing um, government pension and retirement funds mm -hmm. This to me is very problematic because people have lost control over their assets. People who are public employees who aren't even aware that uh, these asset management companies are investing their funds in political causes with which they would disagree. Right. And that is a loss of agency. That is a loss, that is a mismanagement of other people's money because it's being put into funds that are underperforming. And, mm -hmm. and rather, than, rather than putting that money into areas that yield the most returns not just for the shareholders, but for the beneficiaries of, that, of, of, those, of those, uh, those funds, these companies are putting them in political things. And to me, that is a breach of fiduciary duty. Mm -hmm. that, that is highly problematic because we're talking about investment. The whole purpose of investment is to yield returns. And the whole purpose of charity is to do charity, to give, right. this is a blending of things. And what you end up having is these asset management companies 
playing with other people's money. Right. And, and that is very problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's the big issue is, is uh, playing with other people's money because uh, investment is a part of the market. So it's completely voluntary. And, and as an investor, you or I or, or, or your mother could choose not to invest in a company that could yield good returns, but we don't like their business. Right. And, and that's our, that's part of our agency. That's part of like our, our dignity as human being. We can choose who we want to do business with and who we don't want to do business with for for different reasons as well. So I mean, again, we already have ways to the market. The market already sort of builds this in. It's just uh, as you say, what becomes highly problematic when people running asset uh, or managing assets for others are investing for this purpose. Uh, sometimes with no knowledge, and sometimes with uh, some am ambiguous, uh, you know, it's ambiguous as to whether or not they have an, any actual consent from uh, the, the, the people whose money they're using. Well, one thing's clear to me, Dan, is that people across the United States still value democracy, the concept of democracy. We've seen two straight presidential elections, one with Hillary Clinton loss, one with the Donald Trump loss, in which the results of the election were challenged. And people are talking about the integrity of democracy. People are asking, is social media undermining mm -hmm. democracy? People seem to care about this idea of democracy, and yet they are taking positions that seem to, with the respect to corporations, enable these CEOs to have wide discretion and a right. lot more power and to remove the agency of the everyday ordinary mm -hmm. consumer and to really divest them of power and to divert capital toward concentrations of power and to yeah. remove it from people. And this is very ironic to me that the people who seem to be most fearful about the future of democracy are supporting very, very anti-democratic mm -hmm. institutions and, uh, and, and uh, um, corporate arrangements. Well, and let's talk some more about some of the, the positive elements yeah. of business because, you know, like we're using the, the term like the traditional virtues of commerce. And, you know, like one of them is, is an idea that goes back to classical liberal scholars like Montesquieu that, that uh, commerce can actually make people better than they would be otherwise. They can improve their, their moral dignity. Part of it is because you have to deal with people honorably. Uh, but, but also you can make them more willing to trust uh, other human beings too, right? Right, I mean, reputational loss is important to business. A business that does not operate with integrity, that, that tries to cheat and tries to do things that are bad to people will suffer in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are all kinds of new measures that people have, it's talking about democracy. There's been a democratization of feedback. Mm -hmm. People can get on Yelp. People can leave reviews on the internet for places. There are numerous ways that right. people can instantaneously find out what to think about the business or what people's experiences with businesses are. And this is a great thing. This has made it easier for us to find out about business and to find out who's doing business honorably and who's cutting corners or who's trying to cheat or hurt. Just you know, one last thing about uh, that economists uh, have studied. Deirdre, the, the great economic historian Deirdre McCloskey makes the argument that you know, the social standing of business it was really important. That was really what set off this hockey stick of the great, what she calls the, the great enrichment. Uh, that that you know, that whereas previously, if you go back to even like the 1500s, people had very negative views of, of business and commerce. That it wasn't something that respectable or noble or, right. or honorable people uh, undertook. 
and, and she documents how there was this like very notable change in the, the status of business. And you know, one of the things that I see that's concerning about her recent, uh, you know, uh, the wokeness and attitudes for corporations, it, it seems like, like people are losing that respect for business, that, that business is only worthwhile if it's gonna help pursue their favorite uh, political goals. Well, and that's exactly right. And rather than looking at capitalism as something that, that broke the bondage of feudalism and slavery and all of these mm -hmm. arrangements that you referred to earlier where we had aristocrats who uh, were undignified if they engaged in work and their job was to manage the workers and it was uh, not, um, it was not um, in impressive to be, uh, to be a business person or uh, to be involved in commerce. Well, that all changed in uh, you know, the 18th, 19th, 20th century and that has done more than anything else to improve the lot of the people who are struggling the worst in society, to make their lives better and to make it possible for them to go right up to the top of the ladder. And now we're looking to dismantle and undo all those things that did so much to elevate people out of poverty. Well, we only have a little bit of time left, so if you could just briefly tell us some of the, the uh, activities we're, we're gonna be having our free enterprise scholars undertake this year. Well, great. Yeah, we're going to have a reading group, an extracurricular reading group. We'll meet uh, monthly for that. We'll also uh, engage, um, actually, we'll probably meet more than monthly, but we'll meet monthly uh, with um, speakers. We have guest speakers coming in from out of town. We have some Zooming in. Uh, the idea for the ones coming from out of town is that students will get to interact with them, go to dinner with them, meet them, gain a network, hopefully build internship possibilities and along the way jobs. But in so doing, to really appreciate the, uh, the importance of business ethics and commerce to our society. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talk about this. And thanks for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.